0: It's important we we'll look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas
1: Ross is sounding pretty scared.
0: I believe in independence.
1: And he clapped like a seal. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Planet Hollywood where we're Hopefully, going to di- dissect the week in Scottish politics. Um, and no, your eyes are not deceiving you. Paul Hutchin has not had a glamorous uh, transformation. Um, I am going to be standing in for him while he suns himself in Spain, I think it is. So thanks, Paul. Thanks for leaving this up to us. Um, so I'm Hannah Roger, the chief reporter at the Sunday Mail. Um, and I'm joined today by Ben Borland, the editor of the Scottish Daily Express. And Chris McCall, who is the deputy political editor at the Daily Record. So, welcome to both of you. <laughs> um, awesome. So, I think just on a, a sort of um, serious note, we'll just start off with a bit of breaking news. Actually, that's just come in about uh, Winnie Ewing, um, who's you know sadly died. Um, it's just been announced in the in the past uh, hour. Um, so, I thought we could maybe you know just kind of. I guess if, if uh, Chris, do you want to maybe talk us through a bit about, you know, why is Winnie Ewing, who is she, why is she so significant, I suppose, to to Scottish politics in general?
2: Yeah, so it's kind of hard to um, overestimate just how big an influence Winnie Ewing was on the SNP. Um, when she became an MP in 1967 at the Hamilton by-election, The SAP had only ever returned one MP before and that had been in 1945 and they hadn't lasted very long. So when Winnie Ewing won in 1967, it really was an earth-shattering event in British politics. It completely stunned the Labour Party at the time, who were by far away the dominant force in Scottish politics, particularly in the Central Belt. So her victory then proved that the SNP was turning from a sort of fringe protest movement into a more modern political party that was capable of winning elections, and and that, that you know that that act in itself probably would have been enough to secure her you know place in history in political history. But she went on to do much much more than that. She was a, an MEP, member of the European Parliament, a very prominent member of the European Parliament, and then after that she became. Uh, the very first presiding officer at the Scottish Parliament when it reopened in 1999. So she really was a familiar face to anyone that kind of followed Scottish politics through the 20th century. And she then became a sort of, you know, a a huge figure in the party right up until, I think the the party had a fairly big uh, celebration for her 90th birthday. So she she effectively in the modern SNP, she feels like she was around forever and her loss I know will be felt by people in the party very, very deeply.
1: Yeah. And Ben, obviously, Winnie Ewing, you know, it's not the, the sort of political, um, you know, the politics didn't just stop with Winnie Ewing. We've got like, you know, Ewing is quite a a, a common surname now among Scottish politicians. You know, do you want to tell us a bit about, um, you know, I guess her sort of legacy and her, her other family members who've gone into Scottish politics as well who aren't... Um, aren't very shy and retiring like like she wasn't, so.
0: Well, no, she's kind of a, a rare thing in in politics, in Scottish politics, you know, a genuine uh, political dynasty. Um, obviously, uh, very sad news, commiserations to, to all her family. People probably these days will be more familiar with um, uh, some of the next generation, Fergus Ewing, um, has obviously been in the news a lot this week.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and has, has made a name for himself as something of a, a backbench rebel recently in, in the SNP.
1: Yeah,
0: um, the, the daughter Annabel Ewing, as well, um, also became an MP and an MSP. Um, I think as well, it probably shows how the SNP's. Changed. I mean, I don't want. Obviously, it's a, it's a sad announcement. Don't sort of I don't it too much, but, but it perhaps shows how the SNP changed in that. Certainly, Fergus represents kind of this old, slightly more old-fashioned party. Apart, you know, the, the the Ewing dynasty, if you like, that they're very much a Perthshire, Stirlingshire, mm-hmm. um, rural family. And and for years, that was the SNP's heartlands up in Angus, up in Perthshire, where it's changed now to to being kind of a uh, a much more metropolitan party. And perhaps Fergus Ewing clearly disagrees with the direction that that the party's going. So I think this is probably a time when everyone in the SNP will maybe take stock and perhaps they might think, look, do do we really need to be fighting among among ourselves like this? Mm,
1: yeah I mean I think it's it, it's quite rare I think for for a politician to attract such kind of kind words and tributes from not just from within their own party but across the political spectrum and we've seen that just in the past hour you know you've got um, Alex Salmond, Douglas Ross, Nicola Sturgeon um, I'm not entirely sure if Uh, Anas Sarwar said anything yet but I'm sure he will you know it's kind of well I suppose well accepted that she you know she was just a kind of class act really and she seems to have been very well respected from all all sides even if they didn't agree obviously with all of her politics but yeah um, so I think you know, if we if we go on to to talk a little bit about her son, Fergus Ewing, and uh, what what he's been up to this week, um, it kind of ties into to our next issue, which is about the deposit return scheme. I feel like we've been talking about this issue for the past, you know, six months at least, um, and it, it's just become a bit of a a nightmare, really, for the Scottish government. Um, ben, are you maybe able to talk us through a bit of of what has been happening with it just in the last kind of couple of weeks and where we are with the deposit return scheme? And then you know we'll we'll go on to talk about obviously the the latest developments in terms of of Fergus Ewing and Lorna Slater and things. But could you talk us through a bit about you know where where we're at with it now?
0: Well, where we are with it is is it's it's finished. It's um the the company that was set up to to run the DRS has gone into administration, 60 jobs have gone. Um, there was a I mean we've, we've covered this many times that there was an opportunity to go ahead with a, a slightly amended scheme with on, on the planned start date of March next year. Um, it would have been a pilot scheme for a UK scheme. I think everyone, accepts that the only way this works is as a UK scheme, the only people who don't seem to accept that are the Scottish government. Um, there was an opportunity to, to go ahead. It was without glass, but it, 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 Circularity Scotland, everybody said, look, this works. If you want to do it, go ahead. And it seems to me in a kind of fit of peace, um, obviously Yusuf and Lorna Slater simply pulled the plug and now we're waiting for... The UK scheme to, to begin probably twenty twenty five. So so basically, we, business has been marched up the hill and then marched back down again. The whole thing's been a complete waste of time. It's been a complete waste of money, waste of energy, mm-hmm. waste of newsprint. Um, the, the whole thing's a disaster. And in, in any other any other devolved devolved national any other gov- town council. A community council who made such a mess of a project would sack the person who was in charge of it.
1: Maybe not a community council, to be fair, because they.
0: <laughs> not many numbers true. It, yeah, it, 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 it's you know it, it was probably inevitable that a motion of no confidence came forward. Um, as we were discussing ear- earlier, uh, Fergus Ewing was the has been a critic of the DRS, along with many other backbench rebels. He was mm-hmm. the only one with the backbone to actually vote for Lorna Slater to be removed from her ministerial post. Uh, some of the others were whipped into line by the SNP whips at Holyrood. Um, and, and, and she survives, she clings on. Um, I'm not sure what what she's got left to do as, as a minister. Her, her, her one job has been been you know an absolute disaster. So I guess she's minister for, for absolutely nothing for the next four years.
1: Could, uh, Chris, would you kind of agree with that? What what kind of what are you picking up from Holyrood in terms of Fergus Ewing's rebellion and you know how's that going down? Can you tell us about like,
2: that? Uh, to say that, firstly, that Fergus Ewing isn't the only one in the SNP who viewed the deposit return scheme as a total disaster. Ben is right to say that he has been, you know, one of the few to actually stand up and, you know, honestly and clearly speak his mind on this issue when others have been more quiet. But remember back in the, the SNP leadership campaign, Kate Forbes made it pretty plain that if she had become the next SNP leader, then she would have quickly uh, got rid of the, the deposit return scheme um, because let's remember before this became a bun fight between Hollywood and Westminster, there were plenty of businesses and not you know the, the gigantic uh, corporations like small businesses like the kinds of employed like a handful of people. They were you know shouting into the void for a while saying this is this could put us out of business. And without going over all the details again, you know, the, the opposition to this policy has been building for quite a while. And there was a feeling that the Scottish government and, by extension, Lorna Slater, the minister responsible, were just not prepared to listen on this. And I think that really angered a lot of people. You know, there, there is a, a sort of acceptance that we need some sort of deposit return scheme, is an acceptance we need to drive up recycling, and everybody wants to see less litter on the streets. But the way that this... This policy was handled. has been a, a disaster, frankly, and we're going to be dealing with the fallout for some time to come. Um, ben said it's a waste of newsprint, but I don't see, uh, don't see us filling pages with uh, other policy uh, disasters on this scale anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, circular Scotland. You know, the firms set up to, to monitor uh, the Deposit Return Scheme that's now teetering on the brink and will probably collapse sooner rather than later which is you know terrible number one for the people that work there there's also a terrible waste of taxpayers money as they got a nine million pound loan from the scottish national investment bank which is you know paid for by taxpayers and its boss this week said you know it's unlikely we'll get any of that back so it's not just you know shrug your shoulders and say oh well we tried you know the the outcome has it's been a colossal waste of money And it's not going to prevent any litter on the streets anytime soon. So nobody wins, really. Uh, Apart from political journalists who, you know, will be national. amongst us about this for uh, God knows how long to come.
1: Yeah. And what, obviously, Fergus Ewing did go, he, he went against his own government to say he didn't have confidence in Lorna Slater, you know, are, are either of you sort of picking anything up about what the repercussions might be?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, Fergus you know, has experienced a huge personal loss today. So um, obviously, it's changed. The, you know, the, I think it's fair to say that the rumours of him being sacked um, mm. will probably, you know, they they will be put, put aside and mm. you know, hit the discipline. Uh, you know, party issue, you know, because Fergus has repeatedly voted against the Scottish government now and some in the party, you know, have, you know, including the foremost parties, media chief money through have vocally said it's about time that, you know, he was made an example of because other MSPs, to be frank, wouldn't be given this amount of leeway. Now, Fergus, obviously, is a veteran MSP. He's, you know, been around the block Um and you know he's got nothing left to lose at this stage of his career, so he probably thinks you know I can I can say my mind and do what I like as an MSP now in a way that younger MSPs can. not mm. um, But yeah, that there has been anger, you know, real anger at the way he has behaved, voting against the government persistently. And the, the context this week with Lorna Slater, now many people in the Parliament believe Lorna Slater hasn't performed adequately enough as a minister. But this was a motion brought by the Scottish Conservatives. So to see an SNP, MSP vote in favour of a Tory motion, you know, that it really, really hacked off a lot of people, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the outcome of that will, will be, uh, will probably be decided later now, obviously, given the circumstances. But I mean, certainly yesterday, you know, a day is a long time in politics, but yesterday, the, the, you know, everybody was saying, well, he's, he's not just going to get a 10 place suspension. Bombs. I could take a much tougher line, and he could be booted out of parliament. Uh, sorry, out of parliament, out of the party altogether. Um,
0: whether that is the case now remains to be seen. Can, Chris, you, you maybe can can answer this one. I don't know if you've got the uh, numbers at your fingertips. If, if, if Fergus was booted out, what does that do with the majority? I think there's
2: that they, one majority. If it's to win one, one, I think, um, I mean, I, someone was going to correct me, but I think the, the, the green and um, p power deal, power sharing deal, sorry, means that they have more than majority of one, I'm sure. Um, so to lose any MSP, you know, wouldn't be, it's not going to be great, but I think they, you know, they, could,
0: they could calculate they could live with it. They could live with that. I deliver, I what? But well, then if, if some others were to follow him? No. Right? <laughs> yeah of course I mean would others follow
2: now that that would be something that would keep SAP party managers up at night I'm sure mm-hmm. um, but maybe they're, they're they're gambling that Fergus is the only one that could that, you know has the you know the sort of thick skin to go through with this and wouldn't care if he got kicked out whereas I think maybe others not to name them they, they wouldn't be ready to lose the SAP whip at the stage you know they would rather be inside the tent for now
1: Mm. I mean, what do you think this this says about, you know, obviously when we saw the Butte House Agreement being signed and and Nicola Sturgeon was obviously still the first minister and it was kind of portrayed as this, you know, fascinating new amazing thing, and the SNP are all delighted. But, you know, Fergus Ewing aside, because we know that he's not a big fan of the Greens you know, does it tell us anything else about, you know, how the SNP view the Greens, you know, I'm getting the sense that not everyone is delighted about this partnership, but I don't know what what either of you have kind of picked up around that.
0: Um, Ben? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's been, you know, there was probably some reluctance at first, it seemed always to be a bit of a marriage of convenience because Nicola Sturgeon had a minority administration last time around that relied on the Greens to get the budget deals through. The Greens always voted in support, but they were always kind of given something in the budget they would be given, you know, some of those votes of no confidence in John Swinney, for instance, the Greens always seemed to ride to the rescue. So there was a... Unofficial partnership. So I think when the Butte House agreement was signed, probably a lot of SNP figures thought, well, we're just formalising our unofficial relationship and it w- we'll still be in charge. The vast, vast majority of policies that the government pursues will be SNP policies. As it's turned out, it seems almost that, um, I know the Tories say this a lot, but you know, the green tail wagging the yellow dog, an awful lot of the policies seem to be green policies. The marine protected areas kind of, and even if they start out as SNP, they they become, you know, they've become kind of de facto green policies. Mm -hmm. I think that that there must be people within the SNP, I'm not particularly well plugged in to to the party, but there must be people within the, the SNP, more than just Fergus Ewing, Ash Regan and Kate Forbes, the kind of Rebel trio on the back benches who who are unhappy about this. There must
1: be. Yeah, I mean, do you think though, like Chris, do you think that these policies, like you're mentioning, highly protected marine areas, the DRS, um, well, we had obviously GRA, you know, are these? Is it fair to say that there are green policies that are, you know, that the government are just trying to enact the SNP government, or are people spinning it as oh, this is a green policy when actually it was the SNP in the first place?
2: I think that's fair. I mean, the deposit return scheme, for example, this was something the SNP had been working on for quite a while, and um, long before the power sharing deal with the Greens was signed. And obviously, the Greens were fully on board with that and were, you know, supportive of it. But the, the mess that it's become can't you know the blame for it can't be laid squarely at Lorna Slater's door. Now that's not to say that Lorna Slater couldn't have handled this better. Of course she could have, and her engagement with businesses in particular on this matter shows that you know she does deserve some criticism, it's fair to say. But I think the the wider issue with the Greens is maybe one of perception. Because uh, critics of the Greens, particularly on the right and amongst Conservatives, they always repeat the line that the Greens are anti-growth because one of the sort of founding philosophies of the Green Party, not just in Scotland but elsewhere, is that the demands for economic growth year on year, which is kind of an accepted good thing in the world of politics. Um, the Greens say, well, why does it have to be? You know, they, they make other arguments saying that we should be measuring prosperity and people's, you know, uh, you know, life chances in a different way. They argue that growth upon growth is actually a bad thing. Now, whether or not that's right is obviously, you know, it's up to individuals. But in the world of politics, that becomes a weapon to bash over the head of the You know, people call them economically naive. They're not interested in creating jobs. They're not interested in, you know, wider prosperity. Mm-hmm. I, not to paint too good a picture, but you know, some on the right would say the Greens would be happier if we were all living in caves again, or you know, et etc. et cetera, all this kind of stuff. But you know, the, the amount of mud that's thrown at the Greens at this point does stick. So when they enter government and suddenly they have their, you know, their hands on the economic levers of power, you know, to a limited extent in Scotland, admittedly, then it becomes a different thing, and the critics ramp up, ramp up, and say. Why have they been let loose in government? You know, they're not responsible, they're not a mature political party, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So you then get policies that have been led by Green Ministers, such as Warner Slater, not going as well. It kind of adds to this overall image. An image of the Greens would say is nothing but a crude caricature, but it's the image, nonetheless, that mm-hmm. they're not serious when it comes to the big issues. You know, they're just a single focused protest party that care about the environment. They don't know what they're doing on the wider sort of economic issues. So that's something the Greens need to counter, frankly, Um, Mm -hmm. and you know they they have done it to you know you look at Europe, you know nations like Germany, the Greens have been in government there a very very long time, Um, and I'm sure over time the Greens will be kind of viewed differently, even by their their opponents. But right now they get they get a lot of mud thrown at them and the sticks.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I do think the sort of Euro Greens are definitely taken a lot more seriously they're seen as sort of proper politicians compared to you know the, the greens and the uk in various parts as you say they're kind of not they're not seen as kind of as competent definitely as for example in germany or um austria or anything like this and um, yeah
0: i'd argue that we don't need them i don't think we need to of course years.
1: you would, Ben, of course. Well, I don't think the parties needed.
0: Mm. E- e- every party, even the Tories, are, are fully signed up to the environment and tackling climate change and the importance of kind of biodiversity. I don't think you'll find a mainstream party that doesn't have these green policies mm-hmm. at, at, at heart. So, so the Greens kind of the whole green part of their ethos is redundant. So they've just become a very, very sort of hard left um, political party.
1: Mm. And,
0: you know, you don't, you you barely hear them talk about the environment. They they, they talk about wider political issues rather than green issues. SNP, Labour, everyone's signed up to the green agenda. I don't think there's a a need for, for there even to be a green party. But... Well,
1: uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there will be some people who, who agree with you. Um, okay, should we move on to, I feel like it wouldn't be a week without, you know, in Scottish politics, without the deposit return scheme nonsense, but also, unfortunately, uh, without talking about Nicola Sturgeon, because once again, Nicola Sturgeon has had a bit of a, um interesting week so to speak Um, so obviously she was arrested and then questioned by the police and released without charge last weekend but in the last week she has made a return to parliament uh, but not before holding a press conference outside her house um, where she uh, repeated her um, assertion that she's done nothing wrong and she also insisted that she is also entitled to privacy. Um then I'll put this one to you, I think, just because I fear feel like your answer will be <laughs> I'm interested to see what your answer will be. But you know, what what do you make of this? Um, first of all, what do you make of the way that that Nicholas Sturgeon has, you know, handled this scenario, like since she was ad- arrested, but then also this, you know, demand for privacy. Do you think that she's entitled to privacy, given what's been going on, or what What do you think? Um,
0: I, think I, I think she's entitled to privacy. Mm. Um, I think it's quite unusual for politicians to, to give press conferences impromptu or otherwise on their front lawns um, I think it's kind of I, I'm sure steps could be taken to keep the media away from the house if if, if she so desired um, mm-hmm. so to then say I want privacy but by the way I'm going to do I think that's the second impromptu front lawn press conference she's given mm. Um, no, I mean, I think she, 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 everyone's entitled to privacy. Obviously, it's a live investigation. She's been released pending further inquiries. You know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. I mean, I'm not sure I would have made this point had others not done so already, given that mm. it is a live case, but it was noted that she has three times now um declared her own innocence. Um, however, when she was asked, does do, d- does that apply to your husband, Peter Morrill, the former SNP chief executive, she she didn't reply, obviously. It's so up to him to make his own statement in the case, but, but you know, he hasn't spoken at all since he was released from police custody. Mm. Um, and Nicola Sturgeon doesn't seem inclined right. to declare his innocence on her. Uh, on his behalf, yeah. I don't know if read anything into that other than she can only speak for herself. But uh, that was strange. yeah,
1: it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's like you know, obviously we as journalists are entitled to ask the question, but really she she couldn't give an answer that would be completely you know either way it would be you know, people could read something into whatever kind of answer she gave. So I guess it's a kind of tricky one. But Chris, what do you make of, um, you know, obviously we've seen these calls for Hamza Yusuf to suspend Nicola Sturgeon and there's people, I, I would say probably quite rightly saying, well, Nicola Sturgeon would suspend herself if she was still the First Minister. You know, what do you make of the fact that Hamza is not going to go there? Do you think that that, is a sign of him just the way he wants to lead the party and deal with issues like this? Or do you feel like it's only he's only behaving like this because it's Nicola Sturgeon?
2: I think that's a very good point. Would Nicola Sturgeon have sacked or suspended Nicola Sturgeon? And um, I have to think that yes, she would have. Um, um, you know, Michelle Thompson, her case, a very different set of circumstances back when she was an MP in 2015 but she was not subject to any criminal investigation. Um, but as we've subsequently learned, she lost the party whip very, very quickly. Um, obviously she latterly was admitted to the party, who's now the MSP, but many have looked at the case of Michelle Thompson and now look at the circumstances in which Nicole Sturgeon still finds herself in and thinks, well, why hasn't she voluntarily stepped back? Now Nicola Sturgeon, when she was in the Scottish Parliament this week, she attempted to argue that by remaining in the party, you know, she's effectively showing that she's got nothing to hide and that she's innocent. Um, as if to say that stepping back to the party would almost be an admission of guilt. And um, many do disagree with that. I think those in the SNP that disagree with that, you know, they will keep pretty quiet about it. I think there has been a on sort on of party unity on this issue. Um, The meeting last week in the Scottish Parliament, amongst MSPs which Hamza Yousaf led, has been contradictory reports on exactly what Hamza Yousaf told his MSPs. Um, The First Minister said afterwards that he said, you know, I'm I'm telling you, you have to be in favour of independence if you want to be in this party you need to speak up for it. Does that by extension mean you've got to be poor Nicola Sturgeon? It wouldn't be for me to make that suggestion. But um, certainly it's, it's extraordinary circumstances that the party finds themselves in. Mm-hmm. You could almost argue that Nicola Sturgeon is too big within the party to be suspended that to suspend her would almost be to suggest that the party couldn't function properly. So where we are now, really, like previous weeks gone by, and, you know, after the period where Peter and called were arrested in April, we're now kind of waiting to see where Operation Branch Foot and the police investigation goes next. Um, right now, it looks like Nicola Sturgeon is going anywhere. And on your, your second point about Hamza Yousaf and how he's handling this, I mean, I think I mean Hamza obviously was very much a Sturgeon continuity candidate. There are those mm-hmm. a good thing, and those are certainly viewed it as a bad thing long before her arrest. But the continuity candidate, he is. And, you know, many of his uh, advisors, many people of the party held similar, if not exactly the same roles as Nicola Sturgeon when she was first minister. So there is obviously a huge degree of loyalty to her. And mm. they obviously take her at her words when she says, I am innocent. And they think, well, that's fine. You say you're innocent. We'll take that. We're not going to suspend you. We're going to carry on. You can remain as an MSP question is how much damage will that do to the party? I mean, obviously polls suggest that their lead in Westminster voting intentions is narrowing. You know, one in poll suggests that Labour's overtaking them. How many bad polls what will Hamza and the team around them take? Only mm-hmm. time I guess.
1: Yeah. Um and very, very quickly, because we have been very SNP heavy, Ben, can you just talk us through a little bit about obviously Keir Starmer a few weeks ago made some comments about North Sea oil and this kind of set the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit and we're seeing the ramifications of that this week. But can you tell us a little bit about it and if you think...
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this kind of touches back on what I was saying before about all the mainstream parties now have environmentally friendly policies at their heart. Keir Starmer indicated that if he becomes Prime Minister he would uh, refuse new drilling licenses in the North Sea, um, and he gave a speech this week in Edinburgh um, that, that really uh, basically just confirmed that and, and he, you know, he put it put it out there that this is, if, 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 he, if Labour get in and if he becomes Prime Minister, uh, that would really signal the beginning of the end for the North Sea oil and gas industry and you know, no new licenses will mean gradually the, the, the existing fields are, are shut down. He says we can transition, there's this uh, phrase a just transition, and we can transition to renewable energy. I mean, I'm not sure people in the industry believe that there's the same amount of well-paid jobs or anything like the same amount of well-paid jobs in renewables as mm. there are in oil and gas. The yeah, the conservatives, I can tell you, are rubbing their hands with glee. They feel like this is a huge old goal by Labour and will really, really damage the party, especially in the northeast of Scotland, where they and hope to
1: read, we've had a, there's a Labour councillor up in Aberdeen who's quit the party. There
0: is, yeah, Barney Croft, former, former provost of Aberdeen, quit. Mm. So I just can't be in the party anymore. Um, mm. it. it It may, I'm sure Keir Starmer has balanced the number of MPs and the number of votes he's going to get in the northeast of Scotland to the Mm -hmm. number of votes he's going to get across the UK from perhaps younger voters who are very, very switched on to the question of climate change and the question of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. He's obviously made the, the decision that overall, Labour are going to get more votes from people who, who, who are, you know, attracted to, to this policy of, of, you know, let's push for net zero, but clearly they're going to lose votes in the northeast. Mm. The Tories see an opportunity to, to to mop up those votes that are shifting from the SNP, may have gone to Labour, will, will probably, they hope, now go to the Conservatives. Mm. Um,
1: okay, well, I think if we... I think we've talked about all the major things this week, um, so do you want to just do our good week, bad week uh, before we finish up? Chris
2: who have you gone for? So it's been a good week for SNP MP John Nicholson and the reason I've gone with him is that parliamentary authorities at Westminster have uh, cleared them of bullying uh, the former Conservative Minister and non-Tory peer, Nadine Doris, um, after he liked tweets that described her, and I quote, grotesque and a vacuous goon. Um, Basically, the the parliamentary authorities decided this was not bullying behaviour on uh, Nicholson's part. Um, And one of the reasons that they they gave for that uh, was basically, what... (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing here. It's uh, Nadine Doris' own record of tweeting. Now, anyone on social media that follows politics will have known that the dean was fairly forthright in her opinions, you could say, but her own record was used uh, as a defence of Nicholson. And uh, basically, because she'd made broad complaints about... Sorry, I think pardon. Broad complaints were made against her own tweeting that the, the parliamentary authorities decided that John Nicholson, in this case... Was not really a bully? Now the reason I've, I've, I've kind of picked that as well as I think it kind of quite neatly sums up the, the often mad, frequently bewildered, and, and sometimes horrible world of social media when it comes to politics. Because we, we all like to you know believe in this fancy notion um, that somehow social media everyone could be on their best behaviour and conduct themselves in a polite manner at all times. But you know we know the reality is it's never going to be like that. It's a yeah. sliding scale of people tweeting hot takes and shouting their mouths off and uh, John Nicholson and Nadine Dory sort of a reminder that when it comes to politicians they can be every bit as bad or every bit as good as everybody else really. Um, <laughs> and know, who's my, on, your bad week? So bad week I have gone for uh, Lorna Slater, now not to repeat myself all over again but we know the, the deposit return scheme is a mess. There was a vote of no confidence against her. She survived that, you know, she remains a government minister, but she's had a really bad week. You know, mm-hmm. critics are you know taking more and more pot shots at her. She faces all kinds of awkward questions on the mess that is Circularity Scotland and a deposit return scheme. And I don't think the the being named at her is gonna die down anytime soon.
1: Mm. Ben, who have you gone for?
0: Um, so, a uh, bad week. Hamza Youssef. Um, no surprises there.
1: No surprises no there.
0: why? I, mean, I, I think the, the problem he's got is he, he never seems to have a good week. This hasn't been a particularly bad week, but it's just been yet another week where, you know, the, the fact that a vote of no confidence in one of his ministers, he's got a rebellion from one of... You know, the most popular MSPs in in the party. Uh, he's got the SNP Independence Conference this weekend, and then we got the agenda. And he seems to be kind of almost a sideshow at the event. Um, th- th- there's all kinds of people with with, with larger billing th- than he has, and coming up with mm-hmm. different ideas. I think it just shows the party's in disarray. He still hasn't managed to to get a grip. He hasn't managed to... You know, we're almost at the summer recess and he's never actually imposed himself on Holyrood. FMQs today was another waffle fest. The the guy's floundering, in my opinion. I mean, this is Holyrood politics. I think on another political podcast, Boris Johnson's had a very bad week, but um, we'll not go there. Hamza Yusuf just... For another decidedly average week, uh, good week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles the Third, I think, um, he, he did very you know great uh, great PR from the Windrush anniversary. His heart's in the right place. Um, Trooping the Colour was another marvelous spectacle at the weekend, um, and we've had details this week of uh, the King and Queen coming to Scotland um, for, for a ceremony. at um, St Giles Cathedral next month where where he'll be presented with uh, the, the Honours of Scotland, the, the Crown Jewels yeah, it'll be another great occasion, I think it'll be another sort of step in, in the process of kind of moving on from, from, from his mother, I think the last, obviously the last time the nation's attention was on St Giles it was under very different, very sad circumstances, so this be a, a good occasion to sort of move on and obviously Scotland Week, so, so there'll be all sorts of events, so they, a good week for the uh, King.
1: Very good and will you be in the, the front row then at St Giles? It's on Wednesday, so no, I'll be working
0: unfortunately. Um, yeah. if, if there's anyone listening, who can send an invite to the garden party at Holyrood House. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, well, well, thank you uh, for, to both of you for joining me. Um, I'm sure you'll all be delighted when Paul returns next week. Uh, but until then, cheerio.
2: Cheerios. <laughs> it's important we we'll look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas
1: Ross is sounding pretty scared.
0: I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. <laughs>